Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week we were inspired by an article on the Ethical Consumer website, ethicalconsumer.org. And the title of the article is 10 Ethical Brands Owned by Unethical Companies. And this was from the 6th of May this year. And we, we knew of a few, I think. We might have discussed them before when we've talked about um, various companies, so sort of green and blacks. Mm-hmm. But uh, there were 10 companies listed on here, and a few of them were a surprise for me. Mm-hmm. And I think actually they would be a surprise for consumers out there. But it raised a whole load of questions for me. For example, what happens if you are the owner or the founder of an ethical company, you sell it on and then it takes another direction, which is what we talked about when we talked about green and blacks. It's probably years ago now, isn't it, that? Yeah, I, I did mean to look, because it, it's quite a while. It is quite a while ago. And so you lose control of that thing that you started very purposefully as an ethical brand. And then and I was trying to look at it, well, is it the unethical brand trying to become more ethical by buying these brands or are they just trying to pull the wool over the consumer's eye so I got a bit I was sort of in a dilemma with it and I don't know if you came to a conclusion by reading the article Heather it raised more questions than it answered yeah it did I know what you mean there's that whole um is it a bit like corporate social responsibility you know where some organizations have a policy and then you know they tick some boxes you know they, they give people time to go and do some painting at a hospice or something and they think that you know yeah. they're saving the planet i think i think one thing that's really interesting is that it's quite brave obviously it's a magazine a, a website called ethical consumer i think to say that the companies are unethical um yeah it might, literally says that in the title yeah yeah unethical i think companies. that's quite strong it may be that they're not organisations, in some instances, it may just be that they're not organisations who set themselves up to be ethical organisations. Yeah, however, they do give examples in the article about reasons why they think they're unethical. So, um, for example, the very first one, uh, Mondelez, who uh, own Green and Blacks, um, they talk about their criticism for buying palm oil yeah. from a secret palm oil company, which has been linked to deforestation, and then other criticism about civil society organisations. And they, they, they do give an example of, yeah. I guess, how they're defining unethical. Yeah, what, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 fair enough. I mean, I, mean, I learned a few things as well. I mean, for example, Pucker tea, which you know we all see in supermarkets all yeah. over the place, um, and the branding and everything is you know it's got that sort of small, um, small organisation feel, and then there we are, it's owned by Unilever. And um, um, Unilever own a lot of brands, don't they? Yeah, which, yeah, um, but I just never for a minute, I don't know, I don't know why, I just never thought no. that. I just I look at the that's clever packaging I suppose isn't it yeah it it, it was originally owned um, separately so it's been bought by Unilever hasn't it so it wasn't um, it it wasn't a Unilever creation but it's yeah well and then I suppose you yeah you have that um, that yeah I suppose the feeling continues and you don't look beyond it and then you've got the sort of companies where they're not fully owned by the unethical company, um, but ones where they've invested. So, for example, Oakley, I didn't know this, um, but 
uh, they've had an investment from a private equity firm called Blackstone. Now, they only own 10% of the company, and that has enabled Oatly to expand and to, to strengthen their business. But and, and it is a passive investor, so they've got no management control, unlike the previous two we talked about. Yeah. But Blackstone has been involved in some controversy around um, Donald Trump's re-election campaign and also around deforestation. So, again, that's a slightly different one for me. It's raising questions. So, is there a sliding scale of what ethical thing is uh, unethical thing is acceptable and what isn't? Is a ten percent investment okay? Is a twenty percent investment mm. okay? What if it was only one percent? So I'm a bit stuck there between the two. So the wholly owned ones, I think there is a little bit of greenwashing, isn't there? So they're using those brands that are associated with having been established as ethical companies and then bringing them into the fold and, and getting that. Using that as a bit of a flagship. That, yeah. Oh, yes, but of course we're... We, are, we own that brand. Mm. And yes, of course. But yeah, when an investment is coming in, so it's enabling the more ethical company to do something. But if the funding source is linked to unethical practices, that's that's difficult as well. I mean, and there are some people that um, don't invest in anything that's even linked to anything unethical, and they they bank with ethical banks, and that's a very tricky thing to do. And I imagine if you're a business, even more tricky if you're on the one hand wanting to grow your ethical business but on the other hand the only place to get the funding from is something slightly tainted so Hmm. yeah and I think using that example you know there will be a whole raft of people who don't see that investing in Trump's 2020 re-election campaign is anything other than fair game yeah 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 the palm oil thing you know there'll be some people the deforestation there'll be some people who think what the heck you know we need to we need to do these things. So I suppose it does it does depend what your standpoint is. I mean Yeah, okay, so what about animal testing then? So uh, number five on the list, Ecover and Method. And they're both um, branded as cruelty free products, but they're owned by SC Johnson, who do admit to testing on animals. So they've got a couple of brands that are branded cruelty free, yet the whole group um does test on animals at some point so yeah i'm torn again with that one it's like is it better that actually they're supporting and promoting a cruelty free brand and then eventually maybe the whole group will go that way that's well that's that's, a positive spin that's a positive spin maybe rose-tinted spectacles there yeah but and then you've got innocent haven't you so innocent smoothies they're owned by coca-cola 90% 90% owned by Coca-Cola. Who also own Costa Coffee. Yeah. Which I didn't know. And there's some massive brands that just basically own all the brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. well, go with, you know, those monster energy drinks, which I... Have you ever drunk one? I've never had no, one. No, I'm, I'm not inclined to. No, I... It tip me over the edge. I, I drink enough coffee. Well, it? exactly. But, you know, that... I can understand that being owned by Coca-Cola, but the Costa Coffee thing was, was a bit of a shock. Um, and then what about KVD Vegan Beauty being owned by uh, a brand that's been criticised for its use of fur, silk and leather? Yeah, which is um, Louis Vuitton, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've never heard of KVD Vegan, no, no, personally. No. I'm not I'm not vegan. Um, 
but yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I mean, the closing sentence there is KVD is cruelty free. However, um, Louis Vuitton receives ethical consumers' worst rating on animal testing. So, so it's two extremes, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, this one's vegan. This one, yeah, it's, we kill the animals. We go all the way, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and touch them first. Yeah. Oh, this one surprised me. Lily's Kitchen. I love that brand. Um, that's actually owned by Nestle. I didn't know that. This is the cat food. Again, it's like cute cat food and dog food, isn't it? Mm. That organic range. Of, yeah. Um, well, I don't think it's all organic, but yeah, they, they do have organic parts to it. But yeah, a lovely brand of cat and dog food owned by Nestle, one of the most boycotted brands in the UK. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, I mean, I suppose you could find this out. I mean, presumably, you you turn over the back of the package and you do you see who the owner is. Um, but I I wouldn't I'd have seen that and it's stocked in farm shops and things like that. So yeah. you think, okay, this is you know this you is take it on good faith, yeah. don't you? And what about Linda McCartney? Well, that actually that's a bit like you were just saying about um, you know you set something up. It's bought, you know, so Linda McCartney's food, obviously Linda McCartney's been dead for quite a long time now. Um, But it's still associated with the McCartney family and her legacy. Exactly. And it's owned by a company that uses factory farm meat, which is so opposite to what Linda McCartney was all about. But that name is associated with it. So if I was in the McCartney family, I'd be feeling a little bit, Uncomfortable, yeah. Well, who knows? It's your mum, your wife, yeah. whose name is yeah. associated and, and owned by a company that used factory farm meat. Yeah, maybe we should at some point investigate the story of Linda McCartney's foods and you know what who owned it because it's it, you know it could be one of those you know it was sold to somebody and then they got consumed into something well, else it's a bit then... like green and blacks isn't it because i seem to remember when we talked about this and that i really should have listened to that podcast as well because i've forgotten but when when we profiled a green and blacks they sold it to Cadbury's, but there was like a protection around the the ethical side of it wasn't there Cadbury's had given guarantees but then Cadbury's uh, was taken over. Yeah. So do do they How lose do... that, or, or do they just pay lip service yeah. to it? I don't know. Is it like a, a title deed to a house? You know, it says that uh, you have to always use it for educational purposes. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Like a, like a covenant or something. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if don't that know. exists. And... I don't know. But I think if I yeah, if my name was plastered all over the food, I probably would like to to be clear that the people who are owning that brand but i don't know maybe you take maybe you take your money and run yeah, and that because that's the other thing isn't it if you sell up and and you've you've sold up your um, ethical business you then can take that money and go and do some other good in mm. society can't you so mm. you've taken it out of a, an unethical company potentially and you're going to go and do something ethical with it somewhere else so like i say it, it raises more dilemmas yeah. in me than it, it actually resolves but number 10 is relevant because we're going to be coming back to um the ceo of this company so this is octopus energy um, i'm a customer of octopus energy actually um and I better declare that interest yes. here. Okay. Um, they offer renewable energy tariffs, but they're 20% owned by a fossil fuel company, Origin Energy. 
and they are largest owners of natural gas fired power stations in Australia. Again, I, I've got the dilemma. It, it's a company that's doing renewable energy. Is it a way for Origin Energy to shift sectors a little bit and move into the renewable sector? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about the, the CEO, I mean, it may, may come out in the conversation, but, you know, I'd be inclined to look at how that organisation is growing, Octopus Energy, um, that he, you know, maybe his vision is to buy them out and, you know, they... they it would be nice to think that they were a means to an end for him, for him, yeah, and the ethical side of octopus energy, yeah, um, rather than the other way around. Yeah. So I think behind the headlines, there's some quite complicated stories, aren't mm. there? But if you do want to read the article, it, it's uh, well worth giving it some consideration. Be interested to know if it raises um, dilemmas in your own uh, thinking. Um, it's on the website ethicalconsumer.org. And it's uh, it's dated the 6th of May, so you'll be able to find it quite near the top. And I probably would suggest that if you are going to read it, don't read it just before you have a dinner party with friends, because you may find yourself getting into sort of heated debates about what's ethical and what isn't. Oh, and... so- sounds like you have experience, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, the, an, in, a seemingly innocent comment yeah. that you might say, oh, I read an interesting article the other day, and you say something, and then before you know it, you're in this whole... Well, I'm totally out of my depth and, you know, it's all gone a bit, oh, crikey, should we change the subject to about the weather? <laughs> what you've been watching on the TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay, so our review this week is, um, we were having a little scoot along our bookcases and I came across a book that I've had for a few years now. Um, Can I just comment? I, that looks like a new book, Heather, so... Have you had it on your shelf for a few years? Yeah, yeah. Not used it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, it's um, yeah, but it the it originally was published in. This is the fifth edition that I've got, um, which was published in twenty seventeen. Um, so it's not a well thumbed copy, but it's marketing for dummies, and I think, I mean, I've I've had a few. I've had um, what have I had? Like Photoshop for dummies, uh, Windows for dummies. I'm just a dummy. <laughs> I, I've been through my fair share of for dummies. Um, I like books. it. I, I like the um, the style because it it appeals to what we often say we like in a book, which is it's nicely laid out. There's a summary normally. There's some graphics, and it, it's it follows a similar structure each book in the series, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So th- so this one. Um, is is quite in depth, and as you might imagine, it takes you through what you need to know about marketing. So, I mean, marketing's massive, isn't mm. it? Is it focusing on a particular area of marketing for a particular sector, or or is it really broad? It's really broad, but it but what I quite like about it is it starts with a sort of quite a high level statement or you know section, and then it drills down further and further. So. Talking about consumers and what matters to them, talking about um, your your marketing plan, um, laying a foundation for growth, some some stuff around psychology of choice, you know, so so various things, digital stuff that's available to us. So would you say it's for a beginner with marketing or intermediate? I well, I would say it's for a beginner. 
But that said, looking through it, um, as I have done in the last couple of days, there are lots of things that perhaps are relevant to my business now that wouldn't have been relevant to my business when I first started. You know, as yeah. I've become a bit more professional or a bit more... Um, you're growing a little well, you, bit. Your focus or... has changed, hasn't it? Over yeah, the years, exactly. On who you're marketing to. Yeah. So I, as, you know, I seem to recall um, the nature of the client that you're targeting has changed. It's very hasn't yes, it, over the last yes, few years, it has. And um, and and the book itself would probably have helped to um, help me move along that journey, perhaps a bit faster. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. So, it, but it's. It talks about sales. It talks about pricing. It talks about the digital. It talks about marketing mistakes, uh, and it. It, you know, it, it gives you all sorts of. It gives you examples of things that you could do. Um, so it's not just a case of. Um, here are the things that you need to think about. I mean, even to the point where, and I, I marked this bit because my brother has got a thing about fonts. Okay. All right. So you might be walking down the road and you see a restaurant. You go, that looks nice. And you go, oh, no, we can't go there. I don't like the font. <laughs> that's serious. Yeah. And, and, and we'll go, what do you mean? You go, I oh, know that's, you know, that font is, you know, for jokers or that font is. It, it just, does it, it does it make a difference to the food though? I it? don't know, but he, it does but for him. It, it does for him. So we have this whole thing, and I learned something which I'm ashamed to say. You, well, you probably will already have known this, but you know, sans serif. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you know what sans serif means? It means without the twiddly bits. Oh God! See, I knew you'd know. I was like, oh wow! You didn't know that the serif was just that little no. twiddle at the top or the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, so anyway, there's some stuff about Oh, fonts. sorry. I, I've spoiled that one, haven't I? Can I share a bit of font and news? This is Go something on. I learned this week. Um, that if you're writing a screenplay for film, okay, then you're expected to write it in Courier, size 12. Okay. But don't even think about writing a stage play in Courier because nobody will read it. Really? <laughs> it's amazing the things you pick up. So fonts are, I mean, fonts are a real thing. Yeah, I mean, we all know about Comic Sans and how yeah. you know people don't take that seriously. Primary school teachers, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, because it's comic <laughs> and Sans without any screaming without, bits. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why I didn't know that, but there we go. But yeah, you didn't know that if you're writing a film uh, script um, screenplay, you, you've got to um, use a different font to a stage play. No, nope. didn't occur to me at all. Didn't occur to me at all. Can I share with you one other bit Please that I was do. having a look at? Well, you've highlighted it. There's a section on podcasts. Oh, all right, okay. I feel like I'm going to be schooled here. <laughs> uh, they're talking much more about using a podcast as a marketing tool. Okay. Of course, we do our podcast for the love of talking about the things that we talk about on our podcast. Yeah. And in the vague hope that there are some people listening from time to time. I mean, we hardly ever name-check your business, Salt Solutions. Um, you're a communications expert. No, we don't, because we, cause we, we're, not, we, we're not that sort of podcast, but we might become that sort of podcast. Yes. I think it's because our roots were in community radio. Yeah. And obviously, if you're doing a radio show, I really think it's not on to be promoting your business. Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah. So it's a different thing. Yeah. But so anyway, so it talks a little bit about podcasts. It talks about the fact that um, podcasts really started in two thousand and three, oh. but they're making a big comeback. This is in twenty seventeen. 
Well, well, they got their crystal ball the out there, there, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, massive now. There's loads and loads of podcasts, um, but and it talks about you know why. So podcasts. how how should we be marketing this? We it? should well, we should be possibly utilizing our platform to get in touch with people, perhaps interview them. So we're giving them an opportunity for exposure, which puts us in their mind's eye which then might benefit our business. Now, interestingly enough, that is how I used to use the radio show. So I w- would never really promote my business on the show. But um, when I did talk in business all those years ago, yeah. um, so I must, have, I must have started 10 years ago because I stopped it three years ago when we started doing this. So you did seven, seven years. Seven years. When you were Every running. week, yeah, was interviewing business people. And it gave them the platform to talk about their business. But it's the best networking tool I've ever used mm. because it was an intimate conversation where I was allowing them to talk for virtually a whole hour to choose their music and they, they get to feel like they know you. And yeah. it was absolutely the best um, networking technique I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> Admittedly, you know, it was a bit of a commitment to do a radio show, but yeah. Better than going out to networking meetings where you've got a quick pitch or, you know, you're doing your 60-second intro. To spend a whole hour with somebody who's potentially, um, maybe not even buying my services, but then you can network on somebody else. That was really valuable. Yeah, and I think we met, we actually met... I interviewed you for my show. Yeah, 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 I think we met somewhere... The very goddess. I know, I know. But anyway, so I thought it was really that, you know, again, that's a really interesting thing. Talking about, you know, do you want it to be niche? Um, or you could keep it brief. And that's something that I've noticed. We've had quite a few of the people that we've been profiling in recent weeks where we've looked at podcasts that they've either run or have been interviewed on. And they seem to be running at over an hour. And I have to admit, when I'm looking at an interview with somebody, I don't really want to invest an hour. No. Uh, if, if for research purposes, typically I'd want to listen to it on a commute, maybe, or or just you know finishing the the day or something. So half an hour to forty five minutes is probably my max. Yeah, yes, yeah, so I w- now one thing I did see um, when I was doing research, um, I came across a there was a list of various YouTube um, uh, video podcasts. Um, and I've not seen this before, I don't know if you had, but underneath the list of the videos, it says, it sort of bookmarks relevant stages within that hour. Oh, so a timestamp. Yeah, a timestamp, and it'll say the question that is being asked at that oh. point. So it's like, oh, you know, seven minutes in, you know, oh, okay, what's, oh, that's, that, and I thought it looked really efficient this way. a task for the blog. There we go, yeah, yeah. I, I just thought... Well, yeah, so when, that at that point where we're talking about that particular personal yeah, subject, yeah. yeah. Or if you're looking at it and you're going, right, who's this joker? Okay, uh, right, what are they talking about? Oh, they're talking about um, unethical uh, organisations. Oh, okay, I'm interested in that bit, but might not be interested in how they raise their, f- their start-up fund or whatever it might yeah. be. So, and then they go on to webinars, etc. But um, it's it's a good book. It it has it has made me realise that there's a shitload of stuff that I should be doing. <laughs> Do you I'm not. just on podcasts? Just on podcasts, yeah. Well, yeah. I just had a quick look at the the Dummies website. So there is a website called dummies.com 
and it, it's got the links to all of the different books that are available. So um, they're in categories here. So there's um, books on car repair and things like that. I, I don't know. It's a, am I actually looking at the right website? Have they got a section on business or? Well, maybe it's not the. F <laughs> I have to cut this bit out. Dummies on Amazon. No, it's it's the dummies range. It just it wasn't linking to the books, but dummies dot com. It seems to have. I'm looking at it on my phone. Okay. Lots of hints and tips in the categories. So that's worth checking out. It is worth checking out, even though I suddenly doubted myself in the middle of that sentence. Yeah, dummies dot com does seem to have some really rather useful resources. So as well as going on to send you a link on to Amazon, um, where, where they've got the categories for windows and office guides, blogging and social media, digital photography, music, small business, gadget guides, programming and coding, and it goes on and on and on and on. There are hundreds of dummies guides and they all have the similar brand and the similar style. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the dummies range. Now, I think there are some people that don't necessarily like to be considered a dummy. Oh, okay. I know. I think I've, I've come across people who um, don't want to be seen holding a book that says for dummies because they are not a dummy. Oh, maybe they should do like they did with the Harry Potter books and put a more grown-up cover on them <laughs> for the, all those adults who wanted to read Harry Potter on Marketing the, uh... for soon-to-be experts. Yes, exactly. I, I don't mind being called a dummy. This this shows that you're learning. I think that's... I mean, And it's, it's gone beyond the the meaning of a dummy now, isn't it? It's a brand. Yeah. Yeah, I think it... Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know... Have you got an idiot's guide? You know, I'll, I'll often say to somebody, you know, can you just give me an idiot's guide too? Yeah. Because I'm not an expert. Maybe. There, I mean, there isn't a book. I don't, well, maybe there is a book called Marketing for Experts, but who would buy it? <laughs> yeah, because the experts are already experts. It. Yeah. Very good point. Now, on the subject of keeping it brief, let's move on, yes, shall we? Yes. So point. we said we would profile... Uh, the CEO of Octopus, because we mentioned him in the article about ethical products. Yes. So, yeah. um, Heather, the CEO of um, Octopus is, and I've just suddenly lost him. Greg Jackson. Greg Jackson. Yes. yes. He's co-founder and holds the title of CEO. He founded it with another guy. Um, it, we found him, actually, um, on the BBC website. So um, they do some rather good uh, reports, certainly I'm, mm. I'm speaking to business owners. Um, so this was in the CEO secrets section of the BBC website this February. And the title of the article that prompted us to look this way, and it was only coincidental actually that Octopus were also mentioned in the ethical products. That was a... No, we planned it. Oh, we yeah, sorry, it. we planned that, yeah. We're experts at this, aren't we? Not, not just, it's not just luck. <laughs> um, so the title of the CEO's Secrets article is My Billion Pound Company Has No HR Department, which is quite a controversial idea, really. And as, um, as someone responsible for HR, <laughs> I find that quite interesting. And some of his... Um, comments about HR. I can understand where it's coming from, but at the same time, you think, well, maybe you just haven't had a decent HR department. That's possible, yes. Yeah, I, I think what he thinks about, because he feels the same way about IT. 
Um, yeah, and, and for me, he's going to say the same about finance as well. They're my three, um, my um, professions, IT, and HR, well, and finance. Come on. You'll never get a job yeah, no, with no, him. You no. need to go and retrain. Uh, yeah, because I think he, I think what he thinks is that those departments don't make employees happier. Now, I think what, where I disagree with him, um, not so, I mean, I don't know about the IT, but with HR, HR prevents people problems if it's done well. Yeah. So that is going to make people happier, isn't it? Yeah, so, I think so. But if you make sure you get everything set up right and you're following the procedure properly, then it can avoid a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's entitled to his opinion. And yeah, and he's face r- it. running a, a company that's valued at £1.4 billion. <laughs> so he's obviously doing something right. Yeah. Uh, the company's got more than 1,200 employees with no HR department. Now, that doesn't mean to say that HR isn't being done. And I get actually what's happening here is that it's being passed down to the line managers, which is that actually appropriate. Yeah. Presumably, yeah. they have some sort of training in how to do what they need to do as a line manager, in which case, yeah, you don't necessarily need the department doing it, but there is some sort of HR stuff happening. Yes, yeah. and also he could be buying that in from a yeah. third party on an ad hoc basis rather than, you know, or on a, a retained and basis. Something I would recommend yeah. to companies when we, you want to keep your overheads low is, you know, hiring the experts on, yeah. on a retainer. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so this, the story is quite interesting. Um, and uh, and he, I quite like him. When you go to the Octopus website, he writes a blog. Um, he talks about what, you know, what the business is all about. I quite like the language he uses. Mm. He's quite, he's quite straight buttoned down. Yeah. Not, I don't mean matter of fact. I mean, you know, he's quite, he seems quite transparent. Um, and he was interested. It was interesting because I did watch um, a podcast that, where he was being interviewed, um, a podcast called Cleaning Up, uh, and um, it was titled Greg Jackson Building the Billion Customer Energy Company. And talking about some of the things that uh, he was saying, he was saying that uh, when he, he'd run previous businesses, but when he started to look at the energy market, he noticed that, and he'd been heavily into tech, the energy was the only sector that hadn't been disrupted by technology, so he spotted an opportunity there. Well, we see that a lot, don't we? The, the, the just, well, obviously, like we looked at um, bamboo toilet paper, the tissue yeah. disruptors, yeah, yeah, tiki bamboo, yeah, exactly. So, so he he saw that, and now he's got to a point where, and yes, maybe he did take that funding from um, the investment company. Uh, and it may be that you know, you know that that's the relationship is going to remain. But he's now looking; they're growing at thirty thousand customers per week. Um, they're moving into global markets. They're licensing to other providers globally. Yeah, and they've got other strings to their bow as well because I've recently been researching their electric vehicle offering. Okay, so they're they're offering a um, salary sacrifice um, electric vehicle leasing scheme which is part of the drive to encourage people to have more electric vehicles. And I've got to say, of offerings of a similar type, it was one of the most clear presentations I've seen in a long time. 
It was very clear, very straightforward. I could see exactly how it was supposed to work. I followed up with a consultation with um, a gentleman from, from Octopus EV and he, it was very clear and, and I could, couldn't have been clearer, to be honest. It was very, very good. Well, he talks about, and maybe this is you know reflected in his, his style, that, you know, bureaucracy and, you know, tick boxing is you know is not for him you know we're we're, we're doing it and we're doing it properly yeah. um, and make keeping it keeping it simple um can i share uh, a, a story that he tells it um in i think it's on the website um he's talking about how he uh, he's run other businesses and he said that when he was 27 he was managing a manufacturing business and um, there was a lady who worked there on reception she was in her 40s he was 27 and he, one day he heard her speaking to a customer and um, with the gist of the conversation, he, there was something that he thought he could help with. So he leaned in and, and made a comment to her. She finished the call very professionally and then she said, um, and I'm quoting this, um, Greg, I bring up two boys and a husband on the poxy wage this company pays. If I can do that, you can be pretty sure I can do anything this company wants from me. <laughs> and by the way, Greg, I was here before you were and I'll be here after you. Um, I love the company more than you do, so you never need to tell me what to do. <laughs> he said he realised she was Cut right. Place. He gave her a hug, and it was one of the greatest learning experiences of his life, and it forms the basis of his management theory today, which um, is about trusting your people. Um, I, yeah. Very I just, good. Yeah, yeah, just thought that was really, like, to admit that, you know, I mean, we might all have done that, but, you know, to actually go, yeah. I was an idiot. Um, I was a dummy. <laughs> Fair enough. He's also um, labelled as a serial entrepreneur. So um, it's quite a wide range of um, businesses he's run before. So apparently a mirror manufacturing company, online property management agency and a coffee shop. Um, but he talks about this. Um, and I guess this is where the, having the big HR department and the big IT department come from. Um, and the, the dislike for that is... Um, he's been used to running smaller companies mm. so with five people and so you have to get on and do it yourself so as the owner of a, a five-person business he has to do the HR and the IT himself and I get that as well because that's that's my background it's, yeah um, you know working for smaller businesses and if you end up working for a big global business that have got so many people in in their infrastructure it can be frustrating and you do start to wonder you know what benefit are they bringing to the business i was talking to a colleague the other day works for an organization and they've got nearly 20 in the hr team but her experience of the hr team is it's completely um dysfunctional it's not really delivering and i think i think we're looking at um the number of HR people per employee, and it was way higher than the average. So something's clearly gone wrong there. Yeah. Just because you've got a lot of people in the team doesn't mean to say that you're giving good value to the business. No, the shift of emphasis. It, it's interesting what you were just saying um, about the sort of small business versus this larger business now. Again, on their website, um, he, he was asked, um, are there any traits that you have that you don't think are helpful as a CEO. And he says, when I get stressed, I try to take control of the situation myself. Uh, Luckily, he knows when he's stressed and so takes a conscious effort to take a step back. 
because he could get into the why can't we just crack on and do this yeah. why can't we just make and this happen and he's got to trust his people and he's got to allow his people to do that so he recognise that that's that is hard on your scaling a business isn't it though there, and so many uh, it's often family run businesses isn't it they're where they, they're going from small yeah. and they're going through that growth phase it can break a business so yeah. clearly he's, he's finding a way through that growth phase and it's working well for him yeah but I I I like him. He's he, seeing him interviewed. He's got amazing eyebrows. That's the one thing. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing eyebrows. But he, yeah, he you know he uh, he he's he, he's got humour. Uh, he's got humility, um, and he's clearly successful. Uh, and I think that I think it's watch this space because I'd love to see that the ethical stance comes to the fore as and when. They become more able to stand on their own two feet. Um, it'd be nice to think that he just pays back, um, buys out the other, the other part of the uh, watch the, the space. Yeah. yeah. That's all we've got time for this week on the business community. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website, which is thebusiness.community. We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Bye.